everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Coach's Corner University podcast. I am your host, Paul Oneid, and today I am joined by a new friend of mine, Ben Mayfield-Smith. Ben is the founder and head coach at Matter Athletica and host of the Matter Mindset podcast, and he's also a competitive bodybuilder. Welcome to the podcast, Ben. Thanks you for having me, brother. Appreciate it. It's my pleasure. It. My pleasure. I've been I've been meeting so many new people lately, and uh, you know I've had the pleasure of getting int- introduced to like you know first Coach Kavanaugh, and then he introduced mm-hmm. me to you know Aram, and then to you, yep. and it's just kind of been snowballing. And each person I brought on the podcast has kind of extended their uh, their networks to me, and everyone I've met has been super cool so far, and it's been great for me to network. So. One thing I find with Cav, he's very, um, he's very people connecting. Like he's just always got someone for you to meet. Which, you know what I love because, you know, the old adage of your network is your net worth. The more great people 100%. you can surround yourself with, um, you know, the better it is. I just finished speaking to uh, a new friend of mine, Jared Hamilton, on his podcast about like how environment plays such a role in people's success. Um mm-hmm. And when you surround yourself with like-minded, highly motivated people, it just lights you up. And that glass ceiling that you might be seeing with yourself completely gets lifted because you see what other people are doing. I've, I've always, not always is the wrong term, for a very long time, I've been of the belief that the your, your potential is often limited by the capacity of thought that your group has. So if everyone in your circle is only thinking so high, when you step out and try to say like, you know, I'm going to go off this big goal, they quickly pull you back in. Like, no, we don't think that here. So you're always like the more, the more you start to evolve and take off and get bigger and you know, extend yourself, want to push yourself further. You have to evolve your circles to higher levels of thinking. Otherwise you just got to, you get anchored down into, you know, there's like that first post high school college social group and everyone's like on the party and drinking and it might expand slightly with your work life, but it's always the same mundane conversation. And for me, it's always been like, once you find that that ceiling, you need to evolve the group, especially if you want to go somewhere. And it's not in a negative way. It's just simply that some people don't want to go to that next level. And if you do, you just have to evolve to that next group and put yourself in those situations. Well, and and I want to make sure that people understand it doesn't mean like you can't be friends with normal people. Right? Exactly. Exactly. 100%. It just means that, you know, you have to expand that your scope to those people who are like in the shoes that you want to fill. Um, exactly there's a lot of friendships that I have where we don't have much in common aside from history. And that's enough mm-hmm. to have a good friendship. Mate, one of my, one of my best mates, father of my God kids, known him since we were 13, 18 years now, like longer than we've been, you know, the time that we've known each other is longer than we were alive and we met. And he has absolutely nothing in common with bodybuilding, training, high performance, just a fucking good dude, loves his life, loves his family, works hard, owns his own business. That to me, I'm like, I respect that. Like we don't have to sit there and get drunk and talk shit. We just, catch up, hang, hang out with his family, have a good time, go home. And that to me is like, that's all I need. Wait, so Aussies don't just sit around and get drunk and talk shit? No, no, it's surprising. Sometimes, like sometimes I do. There's a large, <laughs> there's a large cohort, I guess, that do. <laughs> that's that's the stereotype here in, in, in Canada. Well, Canadians too. I mean, we play hockey and get shit-faced. I do not. I, I, watched, I, watched a, uh, I watched a video just recently of a um, an NHL fight. Honestly, I like, oh man, it, it's it's something that I wish rugby league had allowed because like we've got very strict on the no contact, no fighting, no punches. You get sent off. Hockey's just like, nah, screw that. You get five minutes, in you go, throw hands, penalty afterwards, off you go. You get in the box. It used like, to be so much better. Right. Like now, oh, really? hockey, yeah, hockey's really soft now. It used to be like 
four or five fights a game kind of thing. Now, now guys are afraid of like lawsuits and whatever. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's like every sport, every sport's getting nerfed. Like in fo- even in oh, American yeah. football, you can't hit the quarterback certain ways and, you know, you can't lead with your head anymore. Like what world do we live in? We can't hit people in the face with our faces. I know, it's weak. I mean, I, I, I when I first heard that rule change about the quarterbacks, like I played rugby league at a decent level and my position was kind of like, I guess, the equivalent to a sort of quarterback, like play driver and stuff like that. Yep. And I was the one that got hit the most. Like you just get smashed. Everyone's job is to like get out and basically just drop you, hurt you, make sure everyone knows about it and then get on with the game. So when I heard like QBs now can't be touched, I was like, oh, come on, man. Like I'm playing the wrong sport. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was in the wrong game. Listen, so tell me a little bit about yourself, man. Like, you know, we talked a little bit off off camera about, you know, you're coaching mostly bodybuilders, mm-hmm. high performers. Um, mm-hmm. How did you get to where you are today? Man, so like long story again, like, you know, the, it gets a little bit uh, emotional, depressing. Like, you know, I've told this story a hundred times, so I usually have to give some sort of like warning. But, um, you know, I played very decent levels of rugby league growing up. I was always in a competitive environment, two older brothers, a very competitive dad. Everything was always competition. Um, you know, my my dreams and aspirations, ambitions was make it to the rugby league professional level, make it to that next sort of stage, take off my career there. Kind of just do the standard trade in the background where it's like, you know, you just do, uh, I think I was going to adjust my seat. There we go. Uh, you know, you kind of just do like the, the basic trade while you play football career and that sort of thing. And at the age of 21, uh, a very similar philosophy, I guess, to the Rock's adage about not making the NFL. The best thing that never happened to me was that I didn't get there because I was hit by a car. And when I was hit by a car, I ended up with a chronic diagnosis of spinal disability. Um, so I ended up with like technically a 10% impairment of my lumbar spine. And I was supposed to have spinal fusions, disc removals, all sort of stuff. I was 21. I said, fuck off. Like, I'm just not doing that. There's got to be something I can do. And, you know, I was in the midst of playing a decent level of rugby league and really trying to push that next level. Um Anyway, I lost my entire identity. I lost, I went through depression, suicidal tendencies. Like I was lost my girlfriend at the time. Um, at the same time, my father was diagnosed as terminal. And oh, fuck, in that same process, man, I, I, I lost my entire self-worth, I guess, and my, my self-identity. Mm-hmm. And I then had to step up. And because I wasn't working because of my injury, I became dad's full-time carer. And basically was like my problems became less significant because well you know mine was a back injury court case civil cases lawsuit his was dying so yeah it kind of put me into a put me into a different position a different light i guess um you know how bad are my problems when you know i'm still here and i'm living he's been terminal for five years and is supposed to pass away so you know uh, long story from that is i just went about my rehab i was like what can i do um you know, I really approached the same sort of way that I approached my competition and my competitive career, my, my playing career. And so like I, I put a competitive edge to my yoga, my rehab, my physio. It's like, how much more can I do? How can I outperform this person? How can I be a better rehab client? How can I be, you know, just the competitive nature that served me for so long. I just cross-correlated it to, I guess, my rehabilitation and trying to get better. And I had like 21 doctors by the time I was 24 tell me I was fucked. And, you know, I went to spinal surgeons like, you know, you'll never do contact sport again you never deadlift don't squat don't bench don't heavy load your spine all these the typical you know rehab process mm-hmm. and i was just like that's just not good enough for me i'm 21 being diagnosed with the spine of a 75 year old i'm not going to sit in a chair for the rest of my life that's just not how i work yeah, for sure and um you know at that point i was just like well i just gotta take this in my own hands and, and do what i can um and i spent a lot of time you know being in the care of dad it left me a lot of time where 
you know, he wasn't immobile. He wasn't crippled. It was just more so the slightest nick because he went through such aggressive radiotherapy, chemotherapy, uh, stem cell transplants, all these different things. Um, the slightest illness, the slightest cut, the slightest injury would infect his bloodstream and kill him. So basically I just got told like my job is to make sure he doesn't do anything. So it's kind of just like a sit there and, and wait sort of, uh, sort of uh, position. And so from that, I just spent a lot of time figuring out what injuries didn't hurt, what things, what movements didn't hurt, what, uh, what movements didn't exacerbate the problem. What can I do? What can I take? What can I use? What machines suited? What, what helps? Um, so I came up with this repertoire of movements and training that I could do and, and sort of try and get back to normality. Um, and then it just got to a point where I was like, I can't return to my career, can't return to my trade, can't return to my contact sport. I tried to play it for like three months and it was just, I was never going to get that next level after that injury. It's just once you have a back problem like that, it's just not happening. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was like, you know, what's next? And I just started to narrow down what I loved and I loved training. I love pushing myself. I love competing. I love driving. I love like just finding that next level for myself and what I can do. And that just started leading towards training people. Um, you know, I, I ended up starting the business the first time I did face-to-face -face PT, got a lot of the wrong clientele for my sort of mentality and the way I do things. So it kind of revisited, yeah. took that step back. I was like, I'm not a gen, I'm not the, I'm not the gen pop, gen pop coach. Like I love taking gen pop. They want to fuck shit up and like absolutely send it and, mm -hmm. you know, take themselves to that next level. But I'm not like the, I'm going to give you a pat on the back just for showing up sort of approach. Like we're, we're going to have a very difficult conversation if that's where you're at. And so I kind of took a step back from there and, and then dad actually eventually passed away when I was about 25, 26. And that's, you know, uh, life kind of took a, took a turn there and, you know, things just got a little skewed and I very quickly realized that the, the drink away your problems and party away your problems and, and kind of like that mentality just wasn't for me. Um, you know, kind of just picked myself back up and got back into the midst of things. It was three days after dad passed away. I was back to work. Everyone's like, you know, take a grief leave, take time off, go home, sit down. I was like, I, I don't want to do that. Like, that's mm -hmm. just not how I operate. It's not how I perform. It's not how I work. Yeah. I need to be back into doing shit. And it started to build this philosophy and kind of how I do things. And, you know, it's, it's something that I've really uh, recognized and tried to shape into clients is that often trauma creates perspective and experience creates perspective that sometimes you just can't get from the average sort of experience of life. And, you know, I don't want people to have to experience the trauma that I have for lack of a better word, as much as I don't like using it because it's a scapegoat for a lot of people. Um, I don't want them to have to experience that to get the benefits of what it can actually produce. So I try to create that. And as I started to really recognize, like I want to be with bigger, better, more, like more driven people. I want to find those people and push them to the next level. If I can't go pro, I want to find the guy that can, I want to take that kid and give him what I wish I had. Like my, my training philosophy basically became be the coach that I wish I had coming up so that I could have taken myself next level sooner. And it started getting me into a position where I was just like, you know, asking the right questions, pushing people to the next level. I started to really see how, how the, the push and the sacrifice and the struggles of bodybuilding ended up leading to a better life for me. Like my first competition was only six months after dad passed away. And I basically sort of said to my coach, really good friend of mine, coached me for about three, four years. And he just kind of, I just said to him, I was like, look, I'm not going to come in the biggest guy. I know that I'm not going to come in you know, the most shredded, but I can be in the best position I can be in. And I can also not quit. So no matter how hard it gets, how emotional I get, how tired I get, don't let me drop the ball. Don't let me quit. I was like, I don't care how dead I am, how exhausted I am. There's one thing I can control right now. And that's finishing this off. And I know like 
there was literally a pivot moment for me where had I not finished that prep, I think life would have taken a very different turn and where bodybuilding as a, as an endeavor took me to here and where we started matter and where I started getting to recognize the benefits, beliefs, the values, the drive that something like bodybuilding creates in people that I got to help the the clients and the athletes that I have now, excuse me. And that pushed me to even then go to end, end up at uh, university studying uh, clinical psychology and performance psychology, because I recognize the importance of, you know, everyone, everyone knows training and nutrition. Everyone knows that's important. Mm-hmm. But when you start getting those next level people, like, you know, you've heard the quote a hundred times, the difference that separates the one, 1% from the 0.1% is their mentality. Everyone has a same, like at, at that high level, everyone generally has the same skills, the same abilities, the same traits, but what do they do differently to go from 1% to 0.1%? And that was where I was like, I need to understand this. And that was like, you know, where we end up now. It's why the brain is part of our logo. It's why, you know, there's matter and athletic arts. It's a combination play on words and a, a sort of system that I recognize for me to get people to the next level. It can't just be, here's your training your program. It's I need to understand you as a person and find a way to take you further. There's a lot in there that can be pulled out from, and a lot of it resonates with me too, because, you know, going through life and with this, I've kind of come full, like, how old are you? 31. 31. So I'm, I'm five years older than you. And I kind of feel like I've gone, I've had both extremes. I've been, mm-hmm. On the extreme of whatever it takes, I don't give a shit. I'm going to, you know, there's a brick wall in front of me. I'm going to run my face through it and I don't care. And then I can, I, and I, and I am where I am now where I can do that. And there's a time and a place for me to do that, but I know when is the time to back off. Yeah. But you said something that I don't think a lot of people actually admit. And you said it freely. You said, I'm going to coach people who want to fuck shit up. And if you don't want to fuck shit up, I'm not the coach for you. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. And I think that's so important for people to hear. It's like, it's, it's very much the like in vogue to say, you know, I can appeal and I can be empathetic and I can, you know, work with this person and that person. Uh, But if your goal is to just work with very high performing people who have a mindset that resonates with your own, it's totally okay to say that. 100%. It's it's knowing your audience, right? Like one of my big beliefs and big philosophies, like you read the about me on our website, like there's a reason this guy is on a lot of stuff I do. I wear Jordans everywhere I go when I show up for business, when I show up for work, I presented at the Coach Catalyst Summit wearing a new pair of Jordans. To me, there's a lot that can be taken from the elite and highly, highly driven people. There's always like this, I think in society, there's this like, there's this, separation gap where we think that people are so far out of our reach and so far out of ability that we just dismiss them as arrogant, cocky, you know, hyper successful, blessed, lucky, whatever you want to call it. And so we don't bother paying attention. We're just like, you know, yeah, I love LeBron James, love Michael, love Tiger Woods, but you know, they're not me. There's nothing they can teach me. Reality is we should flip that is even if you're looking at like, you know, one of my favorite quotes is that it doesn't matter, especially performance psychologies. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You're always performing at something. That was one of my favorite quotes I got from one of my first lecturers, my first early lecturers. She actually ran the uh, Australian Winter Olympics team as a sports psychologist. And then she moved into performing arts, complete polar opposites. But she said, the key is that everyone is always performing at something. Like that. And it's recognizing that wherever you show up, you can perform at your best. It's your choice to not, and it's your choice to do. And for me, it was like understanding people enough to go, okay, from these greats, there is a list of traits and attributes that you don't have to have all of them. You don't have to want to be them. You don't need to have an elite goal where, you know, 
you want to be the best in the world at bodybuilding, powerlifting, strength, performance, elite soldiers, like special forces. You don't have to want to do those things. But from them, if you have an ambition to do something just slightly better, get another house, invest in property, take your career to the next level, increase your education, go to university. Those traits and attributes can be applied to that same environment scenario. And that then shifts your mindset to how you approach it. Whereas you know, a lot of a lot of the time people kind of just go, oh, yeah, I've got this job. And it's like, yeah, like, cool. But are you going to spend the next 60 years of your life just having a job? Or do you want to say, you know, if I'm going to work in law or legal or, or real, real estate, I'm going to be the best fucking realtor that I can be. And I'm going to make sure that I'm showing up better than everyone. The snacks are on the table. My suit's on point. There is no one more energetic in this environment than myself. Like that to me is performance. And it's like, so from these greats where I can, I can study them, I can break them down. I can read all the books. You know, it's not about saying like, Hey, you've got to be an elite athlete to work with me. It's more so how do I take from the elite athletes and help you become more elite in your life? And a lot of the time, those traits that I work with, I don't actually have, you know, a million bodybuilders at one time. I grow my guys and they recognize I want to bodybuild because I see the attributes and skills that go into it. And I want to see if I can do it. And I build them up over time to get to that position where it starts. Well, rather than that, you know, that quick rapid, oh, I've done a, I've done a fat loss phase at a, at a local group class. Now I want to do a bodybuilding show. That doesn't fly with me. We're setting goals and strategies and building your life up over time. So that if you decide to do that, that, that next intense thing, we have the foundations and systems that these elite guys use and work with and get better at. And we're going to implement them into your life so that you can handle it and try it out. That to me has yielded far better results mentally, psychologically, financially, physically for all my clients than if we just go, oh yeah, I do 12 week preps. Like you've never cut, you never worked with me before. Let's do 12 weeks. Like fuck out of here with that. It doesn't work. Fuck man. I, I love that. I love that because listen, what's between the ears for most people is what holds them back. Okay. It, it, uh-huh. Yeah. And, and like, whether it's, you know, past experiences or just like ingrained limiting beliefs that they have about themselves and their abilities. Mm-hmm. When you look at someone like Michael Jordan, so I, I grew up, I played college basketball. Like that to me is the epitome of someone who put in the work day in, day out, first one in, mm-hmm. last one out, mm-hmm. a master of the fundamentals. People think of Michael Jordan, they think of like these massive dunks and all this stuff. Yep. He's the first, he, his, he had a mid-range game. Two dribbles, jump shot. Like that was his game. And you can't do that without fundamentals and hard work and and mastering Mm -hmm. the basics. But he got through that. He got to that point through his diligence and his uncompromising competitiveness with everyone around him. Yep. Now, when we talk about this ability to overcome this ability to push through and persevere, you mentioned during your prep, you know, I can do everything you need me to do. Just don't let me quit. Mm -hmm. How do you unlock, like what are some practical things that you do with people to unlock that within themselves? So a big thing is, is actually getting before we worry about the goal of competing, is what are their values as a man or a person? A lot of the time, like our values, our values and our priorities focus the principles that govern our life and the directions we want to take. And like, you know, I use this really extreme example when I talk about it, and I've talked about it on a podcast before, is if I'm if I'm someone who wants to be in nature and I want to be a, a, a conservationist, and you know, that's my, my, my values, so I claim. But I work in oil or I work in mining, those two things, like they're the most polar opposite extremes that I can come up with where I'm like, your values don't align with your priorities and your actions. So at a certain point, 
it doesn't matter what I say or what I do, there's always going to be an incongruence and that incongruence creates friction. And the second there's friction, if you're not mentally there and you're not like, you're not fully hooked in and you're not locked in emotionally connected to it, you're fucking gone. And I've seen it time and time again with preps with bodybuilding, like people come and go with the wrong mentality to approach it. You know, I've done a cut before so I can handle this, make it as hard as possible. Give me all the problems. Give me, make me suffer. And they drop in like six weeks and you know, I don't care. That's cool. Power to you. It's not your thing. That's great. But it's the approach first where you can go, all right, before we start this endeavor, what are your actual values in life as a person? And what are the priorities in your life in regards to your family, your social life, your friendships? Cause like for me, the priority is the goal I'm on the task at hand and nothing else is getting in the way. Like I will miss birthdays. I'll miss weddings. I'll miss funerals. I'll miss like, it doesn't matter to me if my purpose and my, my values are to serve the greater good of society. And I genuinely believe that what we're doing and what we're going to end up doing is going to change the way people view performance and the way people perceive their ability. That to me is greater than my personal and, and social life. So I'm, I'm not going to be the one out drinking at midnight on a Saturday. I'm not going to be the one, you know, coming home at 5 a.m. I'm going to be the one getting up at six so I can go work and train cardio and, and do my job. So those things to me, like once you have those, the clarity becomes a lot easier. And then it's just a matter of just sort of shaping the actions and the attributes and the abilities. And we start to move towards that, that, that outcome. So, you know, long before people have like these tangible psychological skills, like, you know, I can go through, I literally just did my sports psych exam, like my performance psychology exam yesterday there is a whole trait list of skills and ability psychologically you can go through that provide a benefit to athletes and even general people they can use. But before any of that's relevant for any of that even becomes useful, knowing your values as a person trumps basically everything. The second it doesn't align, the second your actions, your words start to misalign with your values, shit falls apart. So the, the, the concept of alignment is something that really resonates with me because it's, it's something that I, number one, I, practice violently with myself. Like if I'm not aligned in what I'm doing, it, I won't do it. If, yep. that, if it doesn't align, you know, the, the words that I use, my thoughts, my feelings, my actions all need to align together. Yep. Uh, you brought in the idea of values, which totally agree. Your values have to align where the friction point for me is with the, for lack of a better term, this all or nothing mentality, right? You're all in or you're all out. Mm -hmm. It comes with the, there is a middle ground to be found. And this is mm -hmm. me playing devil's advocate where mm -hmm. you can still bodybuild and go to a wedding. You can still oh, sure. bodybuild and go to a birthday party. Um, yep. I mean, the choices that you make at that birthday party, what time you leave, et cetera, are going to change. Yes. But I I want to make sure that we we touch on the fact that you can have your cake and eat it too assuming that you can have your Tupperware meal and eat it too. hundred percent. And that's where, that's where, you know, uh, I guess rephrasing or reframing it as less as an all or nothing, but more so a reduction of variables and frictions is, you know, I know that going to a wedding is going to be less like available food, you know, food choice will be option, uh, you know, abysmal. And, you know, there's a lot of pressure to socially drink and, and have some cake and have all the things. And like, you know, if your balls deep in a prep, those, those uh, pressures start to add up and, you know, it starts to get to a point to me where you kind of look at it as like mental bandwidth. If you're constantly having to spend your emotional capacity, your mental capacity on saying no, rejecting things and, and sort of like turning things down, eventually it gets to a point where you run out and you just see the break. You have like, you know, 49 no's and a yes. Well, I'm going to have that, you know, I've said no to all this stuff, but there's a little bit of cake left. 
And those micro decisions, don't get me wrong. If you're a gen pop client, you're just going through your day and you're just chilling out and you, know, you want to improve body composition or improve some performance areas, not a big deal. I'll be the first one to teach you how to do that. But it's more so, are you going to make those right choices in that environment or does it lead to temptations and problems? What's better than that temptation problem is probably just not being in that environment in the midst of a prep. Now, we're going through gen general life. And we're going there. If you can be there with your meals, you can leave at a certain time. You can have your water. You, know, you might have diet, diet soft drinks or, or something like that. Fantastic. I've done it before. I just know that it gets mentally draining. And I'd rather spend that energy, you know, on different things where it might be like my business, my training, my having the next day prepared because then it snowballs, right? Yeah. For me, like the reason I brought that up is because when I decided that I was going to do a bodybuilding prep last year, I told my coach right off the bat, I'm like, I'm not going to let this affect my life or my business. I'm going to do this, yeah. but I'm not going to let, if I have to make a decision between business and prep, the decision is business. Like yeah. I got, I got invited to speak at the Swiss symposium last year for the first time. Mm -hmm. And that was the same weekend as my show. So I pushed the show back two weeks. This, nice. is, this is more important. Yeah. Being two weeks out from a show and speaking at a conference, 10 out of 10 do not recommend, but 100%. it got done. Um, and, but at that point I, I told my coach, I'm like, listen, I know we have two weeks left of this. I need energy. We're going to reverse out of this thing now. Yep. This is, this is it for me. The business comes yep. first. He was like, totally cool. That's fine. And I almost see it as a bigger flex to say, yeah, I'm going to go do all these things. I'm going to eat my meals. I'm going to drink my water. I'm going to have a couple diet sodas and I'm going to do as much social bandwidth as I can. I totally agree with you. I had like, I went to, I went to one wedding. I think I left at nine 30. Yep. I was just, I was just done. Um, yep. When I was speaking at the conference, I literally walked down and spent like an hour at the conference, an hour in my room, an hour at the conference, an hour in my room. Cause I just couldn't yeah. be around people that long. Exactly. Um, but we're talking that's at the extremes. I think for the most, and like you said, in my mind, I was all in on the bodybuilding, but I wasn't going to compromise yeah. my values. Exactly. And, right. And, exactly and right. I had that in alignment, but if, if you don't have that under that deep understanding of your values, it makes your decision-making very cloudy. 100%, 100%. It, it's, you know, what you what you kind of alluded to there too is at the start of prep, you've alluded to your coach, your priorities and your principles at the start. So it's not it's not a surprise or an emotional-based decision. And your coach can look at that and go, we've already talked about this. I know that something of this was going to come up. You know, that's an opportunity that you can't turn down. Let's do it. Not a big deal. That that ability to pre-emphasize and pre-plan, like one of my new strategies with clients after a couple of seasons that I've had recently very successful seasons, but you know, I, I can always change things up or improve, right? Always like, learning. You know, a lot yeah, of yeah. Always learning. And one of the things I said was a uh, new strategy for my girls coming to season eight next year is I want every event that you know exists that you have in your schedule written down right now and sent to me. What's in your calendar is what's in your calendar right now. Can we go about without adding more things to this in prep? And every both of them were just like, fantastic. We can make those things work or if they come too close to the show, maybe we start picking which ones are the most important, most priority so that we can have those events kind of fit in and, and not really affect life, especially for a social person that re recharges through social engagement. I want you to be able to do that. But you know, I've also had preps where people have added stuff in prep and you know, promised the world of being able to pull it off and I can do this. I've got this locked down. I'm going to nail it. And you know, you're like the, you know, 
I'm, I'm someone who's like, hey, you, you talk a big game to me. I'm going to help you do that because that's what I'm about. Yeah. And then the actions don't align with the words and the values. You're like, okay, we got to change this up. So, you know, if it's a starter prep, we had that conversation. You're sending me through your calendar. Like, look, I've got this date, this date. There's a birthday here waiting here. I'm going to have my food. I know this. Like, they, they're aware of what I'm doing. I've already told them. Christmas is a big one for me. If like if people, clients prep over season A because it goes through Christmas here, I know that it's going to be like, you know, are they aware of what's going to happen? So you can either bring your own food and they're not going to make fun of you or judge you or whatever. All those things. Let's pre-emphasize that. Fantastic. We can still do them. But in prep, we're not adding stuff. That's where the friction, like that emotional drainage and that capacity starts to wear off where it's like, it's not so much all or nothing because of compromise here where it's like, look, these social events, they're important to you. Let's do them. But- we're not adding five, 10 more things in the season where I'm going to need you home to have your meals prepared, have your sleep on point, have your hydration in your training, like volume, your food's ready, you're having food on time, like all those things that add up over you know six months. That's where it's like, to me, let's get that calendar ahead. Let's lock it in. I can align that with your values. I can align that with your goals. We can make those priorities and, and still tick them off, but still stay aligned with the, the endeavor of competing, getting on stage in the best position. And I think the other aspect too, that people need to comprehend is, is, why are you competing or why are you endeavoring to do this? Mm. If, because like the level to which you you tell me that you're doing something is going to dictate, I guess, the level of aggression and an intensity to our approach. If you're just saying like, look, I really want to see that, if I, that I can get on stage in the best position I can without compromising my life. Fantastic. That'll change how I coach you versus someone who's like bodybuilding. I need to win. Or I need to be in the best possible position for me to get first place because that's what I want. Those two clients, though they're both competing, are very different athletes very different, I guess, approaches to how we go about getting that end result. One, I'm going to tick every, like, you know, we're ticking every single boss. Nothing nothing is missed. The 1% is start adding up. The variables are reduced. The friction points are reduced. The other one is like, okay, let's make life fit and still get the experience of bodybuilding. And then maybe afterwards we'll go, hey, did you like it? Yep. Okay, next time we'll go a little bit more serious. Next time we'll get a little bit leaner, a little bit bigger, something like that. So, you know, it's also understanding where your client sits in their priorities and what they're trying to achieve out of competing or mm-hmm. out of high endeavors. Not everyone's doing it to be the absolute best in the world, but I can still take from the best in the world and give you a lot of skills and abilities to get there. That's funny. I'm just thinking about like the conversation I had with my coach. And I was like, I was like, listen, I know I'm not going to win. I'm shaped like a square. So let's just try and get me the leanest square we can possibly get me. <laughs> I, he's like, I got you. I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so all the the thing that keeps hitting me throughout our conversation so far is the direct parallels that we can draw between building physiques and building our lives. Um, mm-hmm. I think that is one of the lessons that unfortunately in this social media world gets a little bit lost where people are willing to sacrifice and, and do whatever it takes for the physique that they want, but they don't realize that those lessons carry outside. They carry outside mm-hmm. into your personal relationships. They carry outside into your career and your business endeavors and that's one thing that I've always you know, thankfully been able to do is anything that I learn in my athletic endeavors, whether it be competing in powerlifting at a very high level or going through a bodybuilding prep, it's taught me more about myself. It's taught me more about how to attack life in that same way. Yeah. Is that 100%. something that you work on your clients with, or is that, is that something that you use yourself? I'd love to hear your perspective. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely both. Um, so one of the things we do in our goal setting system when I onboard a client is I'm very critical on how we set goals. See, you know, a lot of the time people come to a coach, like a body comp coach or a performance coach or even a prep coach, and they say, you know, I want to drop whatever poundage and drop some body fat. It's like, cool, that's fantastic. 
Let's get more specific with that. Again, your values, your priorities, what are they? What does this goal look like in three months? Is it 20 pounds in three months? Is it a certain level of body fat? Do you actually know what the number is? What's the deeper reason behind it? Then we go, okay, what's six months? What's 12 months? What's three years? What's five years? Now where we differ from that as well is looking at that long-term goal. If people don't realize like they'll go through the body cop challenge. I want to do a prep or I want to do this performance endeavor. I want to do X, Y, Z. Okay, but where does that look after the fact? Because the prep's only six months. Training with me is probably 12 months for a prep if, I, if, if we're working long-term, which we shouldn't be. If your endeavor is to win, might be two to five years. You know, it might be, you know, whatever it is. But for the average person who's like trying to learn and, and direct their life and, and take those parallels and, and kind of use them, is what's after the fact? What are we what are we working towards long-term? Because if you just have a goal to lose poundage, I can have you drop 20 pounds in a matter of a month. That's nothing. That's a, like honestly a piece of piss. However, what do we do after that? Where are we going from there? And so what we have our clients do is, is map out as detailed as possible. Now it's always going to change. I call them evergreen because a goal to me should never be actually, a general long-term goal should never be, should never be really reached it should always be just out of grasp enough that it's going to stimulate motivation. Yeah. It's going to stimulate anticipation, dopamine, so that you're constantly striving for that next thing. But it doesn't mean you can't sit and reflect on what you achieved. My my five-year goal only three years ago when we started the company, well, actually 2021, was in five years, I want to speak internationally. In August of this year, which made it 18 months, Cav flew us over to America and I presented the, the, the Coach Catalyst Summit uh, to 200 people. First international oh, wow. presentation and Cav's just like, you're up. And I was like, sweet, let's do it. I set five years. We did it in 18 months. Now I reset that goal again and go, okay, what's higher than that? So the goal is always like, you know, these things are always changing. They're always like evolving and progressing. You should never really reach them, but you should be striving towards them. When you do reach them, it's just reassessing and adding that next thing. Now, again, going back to like kind of where we're different, how we cross correlate into life is we have that same strategy for our clients when they start, but I also have them fill out their personal life and their career business or education. So I'm genuinely of the belief that if your life goes, if your physique progresses to you know a professional standard, you're ready to go pro as a bodybuilder, but your life is fucked because of it, I've failed you. I've lost as a coach because bodybuilding is only going to give you so much. Mm-hmm. But if this probably worked, I reckon at our success rate, 75, 80% people that genuinely follow through and genuinely fill these things out, align with them correctly, when bodybuilding or body composition training for the right reasons, and you have these endeavors outside of just your physique, life starts to progress forward in all aspects and in turn creates a positive feedback loop that feeds into your physique because we know stress reduction, recoverability, redu- reduction in sympathetic stress, you know, your body's ability to get in nutrients and food because you're more scheduled and disciplined. So all these things then you're not, you know, delayed at work, working 40 hours overtime per week because you've got to get the cash in. You know, you've, we've got structures in place, systems in place, non-negotiables. Your values are clear. Your direction's clear. You're very stern in your beliefs and you know, you're not going to waver on things. That leads to a better result in your physique, but it also leads to a better result in, in your personal life, in your finances, in your career, mm-hmm. in your education, your upskilling. So having that as a goal system for us is paramount to success with a client. I don't want you to have a great physique at the cost of your life relationships and business or your education or like, you know, your grades. I can push it and I do it pretty hard. Like you know, I went through a very aggressive cut coming over to, to uh, coach catalyst. Um, had to do a re a tidy up phase after my reverse out from prep back in October. Um, and so like, we got very lean. Like, all right, let's, let's take this as lean as we can. Got to a point where I had assignments due the coach catalyst summit due. Um, you know, I had clients going through prep and I was like, all right, we've probably found that limit where, you know, I was probably four weeks out from a show relatively in condition that I could have pulled into. Um, 
But I was like, that's probably enough because I now need to step up and do other things and reverse out of this and, and get my fuel back in, in, in place and, and get fed um, so that I'm in a, in a better position. Now, that led to us being able to you know, build that personal life, that network, the business education. But it also like, you know, it, it's it's a way that we can build and foster the rest of life around the physical goal. And that's what, something I think a lot of people lack in coaching is that they set the physique goal. It's kind of very long-winded, wrap it around. They set the physique goal like, you know, I can, I can definitely help you lose 20 pounds. That's awesome, man. Good stuff. I bet you can. But where does this go elsewhere? How does this, how yep. does this serve this person the rest of their life? How does it make them more positive, more excitable? How does it make them more motivated? How does it build their relationship with their friends and family? You know, I've seen people build a great physique, six-pack, shredded abs, full packs, big quads, and they turn into a dick. And it's like, cool. Like your arrogance went up in conjunction with your muscle mass. We're not about, we're not doing that. You can get, you can be elite, you can be driven, you can be a high performer, but you can still be good. Like you can still be good elsewhere. You can still operate at the right level and improve the rest of your life. And I, I can tell you, like, I do the exact same thing with my clients and they're, you know, in their, in their Google sheet, that first tab in that Google sheet is a goals and timeline sheet that has all their events that are coming up. And then it has three personal goals, three physical goals, three career education, life goals. And I want to know, like, what are the action items that they're going to hit for each one of those? Yes. goals? Because I want them to know that this is supposed to be something that adds to their life. Whenever, yes. you know, and, and this is, especially when you have clients that are high performers, they're very critical of themselves. And so if they uh -huh. feel like they're falling short, you end up in this position where they almost like beat themselves up about it. But the in most cases, when people feel like they're falling short, they actually can't identify what they're falling short at. Like, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not doing enough. I'm not, I'm not where I need to be. Okay. Where do you need to be? I don't know, just more than this. I'm like, okay, well, let's figure out where that is, what the timeline is. Let's make sure that timeline aligns with your values and, and you know, reality. And let's see, most of the time they're right in line with where they need to be. There's no reason to have that anxiety about it. Yeah. Um, and I can also speak to the fact that if someone is aligned with their physique goals and they keep those business, personal education goals insight as well as their physique improves so does their life 10 out of 10 times yep and, and i think it's a big it's a big misconception of bodybuilders physique developers body compositional you know athletes if you will just anyone that goes to the gym i guess for a body composition goal is that it's for vanity it's for arrogance it's for ego it's insecurity don't get me wrong a lot of people that compete very insecure but most the, people that compete very insecure. Most people that compete very insecure. Ironically, like I found a lot more security in myself from competing than inversely the other way around. Now I pick apart my body parts like crazy, but it's more of a competitive uh, aspect because I want to win. Um, but the thing is, like when we look at this properly and we have these these right reasons and the why is deep enough and the purpose is great enough. Um, you know, as as, um, as Nietzsche once said, the he who has a why can bear almost any how, mm -hmm. and we get to a point where we can actually foster a better life through the disciplines, delayed gratification, goal setting, the striving forward, the progress. You start to, when you have that, that destination in sight, or at least that roadmap, that plan, you have that resilience to get through the shit because you start to see like, you know, there is a reason for why I'm doing this. I'm pushing myself in this direction. I'm taking off here because if you know, I'm trying to get to this significant place, I'm trying to get to this next level. I'm trying to reach this, this end point. If you don't have that, Something comes up and gets in the way, 
that's it. The amount of people that I've seen like talk absolute game, like they're in my ear and I'm like, this is fucking sick. I've got this guy, like we're going to go pro, we're going to do this. And it's like, you know, the the first sight of trouble, struggle, uh, obscurity, and they're out the door. And don't get me wrong, great. Again, don't care. But it's more so because they weren't truly locked in and set in where they're trying to go, the reason for sticking it out isn't greater than the friction and the problem that's causing it. And so they often, they, they waver and they drop off and just say, you know what, I've got to deal with all these problems. I mean, you know, one of the things that I do, and you know, it gets again very extreme when I talk about it, is why, like having been a carer for my dad, when I go through a top set and I'm training and I'm fucking exhausted and, you know, like a hack squat 240 or I'm benching 140 or inclining 140, whatever it is, and it's, I know it's going to hurt, but I know there's a reason to it. I will close my eyes and visualize dad sitting next to me in his chemo chair looking at me and saying like, are you really that tired? Like he's in his chair, needle, needles in his arm, chemo's going in, getting that that delivery of toxins into his body to try and fight to survive and live. And I'm going to complain about the ability to actually get to train and put myself through suffering. Like that to me, like it, it, it gives me a resilience tool where I'm like, I'm choosing this and I can actually work towards something positive. The suffering and the hard is building the good. What right do I have to complain? What right do I have to slow down? What right does it, is this really enough of a reason to quit? He can sit through a chemo like therapy twice a week, eight hours a day. And, you know, he battled that for like 10 years. And I'm going to sit here and say, you know, this hardship that I'm going through, which is like an assignment on top of some prep athletes, on top of some business stuff, all things I'm choosing to do. Do I really have the right to sit here and complain? Do I really have the right to like pull out of this? It's a choice. It's it's a choice. It's a choice. It's a choice. And I can't emphasize that enough. It's one of my biggest pet peeves with, uh, you know, the conventional, I guess, I, you know, I mentioned social media a couple of times now, but the conventional like view of bodybuilding, it's like, oh, I have to eat my chicken and rice or oh, I have to do this cardio. It's like, yeah. no one's, there's no one holding a gun to your head. You do not yes. have to do anything. Yeah. Um, this is a hardship that you're choosing to endure because you believe that the payoff is worth like the juice yes. is worth the squeeze and exactly. the level of resilience that you have to have to say, you know, I can bear any hardship because my purpose is where it needs to be. Like my purpose through this is blank. Uh, I had a moment during my own prep. I was walking my dogs in the dog park. So tired that picking my feet mm -hmm. up, putting one in front of the other was unbearable and yep. I just started crying. Yep. And I was like, I'm crying at the dog park by myself. Like this is yep. embarrassing. And, yep. and then I paused for a moment and I was like, Oh, this is why you wanted to do this. And cause for me, yep. bodybuilding, like I didn't give a fuck if I won. Yep. I just wanted to replace the hardship that I had with powerlifting with something else. Cause I couldn't powerlift mm -hmm. at the time. I'm like, oh, I found it. I found the hardship that I was looking for. And because that was my purpose, the resilience was easy. Mm -hmm. It was really easy to just go, okay, this is my, this is me now. I'm just going to keep doing this. Uh, and I think a lot of people miss that. I think, you know, when it comes to business, I don't think people really have a, a solid why to the things that they do. Like, no. When I, I say, when I say that my goal is to raise the bar, that's across the board. That's with my business. Mm -hmm. That's with my relationship. That's with my own endeavors. Yep. I, I thrive on growth. I thrive on that, yep. reaching that next level. 
Um, and sometimes I don't even know what that next level is. Mm-hmm. I just know that it requires more. Yeah. And that fires yeah. me up. So to endure the hardships that come along with that, you know, and again, there are certain values that I'm not willing to compromise on. Like when I go to conferences and I see these high performers that bags under their eyes and not sleeping and, you know, yeah. milk bag bodies. I'm like, this is bro. Like I'm filling out this two XL. You need to, you need to hit the weights. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I'm willing to endure the hardships that come along with, okay, well, if you have these values, that means you have to be even better at time management. You have to be even better at outsourcing. Mm-hmm. You have to have even better systems. Mm-hmm. So choose your heart. Right. Exactly. And, 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 you know, it's why I think like, especially now that I work with a lot of coaches and like, you know, we're, we're, we're working on bringing out courses and education and upskilling and stuff like that. Cause you know, the, the level that I want to get to in the position I want to put the company in and where we want to make impact and, and effect is at a larger scale. Like, you know, I'm, I use clinical psychology and clinical study to understand people so that I can better reach them and help them out and see where the problems are, see where the issues lie and what they're doing. You know, it's, I look at myself like my endeavor is like a, a mixture of Peterson, Tim Grover, and like, you know, bodybuilding kind of all align into, into one aspect of how I like to approach performance. And, you know, it's the, the thing for me is that a lot of people that I find when they start with us, especially business and things like that, like I want them to give me their business goals. I want them to give me their career goals. I want them to give me their, you know, what's your client base like? What's, you know, we don't, we don't deli- deliberately mentor people at the moment, but it's like, I want to see where you are. So that I can check back in in two weeks and say, okay, what's your sales like this week? We're building our physique, but what are we doing here? What's the reason for these sales? Why aren't the sales landing? What's your passion like in the console? Because as you said, a lot of people in business, they they don't understand why they're doing the thing. They they might understand that they, you know, they want the, the bottom dollar and they want the money. And yeah, PT is a great way to make cash. Like actually it's not unless you are in that position to, impact your niche market, reach the audience you're trying to get to, make that next level with the clients that you're going to get and actually put in the yards and build up, right? So, you know, understanding who I am, where I am, where I want to go, the impact I want to leave behind, it's it's going to help you then when the, the shit week's kicking, when the clients drop off and there's a bit of like, you know, the the um, the, the dropbacks in, in, in leads or sales are dipping or clients are pulling back and dropping off. You know, money's a little bit tighter because profits gone down, all these bills came out, all that stuff that really starts to suck. Again, just like bodybuilding, you got to realize that you can pull out any point and go back to a regular job. You can go back to nine to five. You can go back to a trade. You can go back to a retail job, clerk work, whatever you want to do. There is options, a million different options that you can go do that aren't business orientated. But we're here to make a difference and make an impact. So why would I not be willing to endure that hardship and suffer through the crap because to me, once I know what my genuine purpose is for being here, and I'm not a very spiritual guy, I'm not, I'm, that's not my way inclined, but to me, me it's either. once I've identified the purpose of me existing, it is now my moral obligation responsibility to live up to that and reach it because I can't serve society if I don't do it. I now have a debt to pay that I've identified why I'm here and the impact I need to make. I will be doing myself less justice and I'll be doing society less justice by caving on those values and those morals. So to me, it's like that hardship just has to be pursued. Let me ask you this. Do you believe that every person can be a high performer? Yes, I do. I I believe that every single person has a greater capacity and potential than they perceive themselves to have. It's just that 
again, going back to that conversation start, those circles that are very limiting and small in thinking, how many people have had the potential to be an Einstein, to be a Goggins, to be a Musk? But the circle they're in, when they started having that conversation, everyone's like, I oh, shut up. And so that that belief in themselves was never fostered. That belief in their group was never fostered. The thought was never fostered and it never eventuated anything. So, you know, how many people have the ability to like, I don't you know, I used, to, I used to be a trainee. Like when I had my back, I had my back. I was, you know, up at 4 a.m. to drive an hour and a half to work, to be on site by 6 a.m. And there was a lot of guys doing that. Like that's a very high driven skill to be able to get up that early, show up every single day, put that work in. But then they ruin it by sinking, you know, two cartons of piss a week. Um, you know, for Americans, that's like, you know, sinking beer, you know, having beers. Um, they're, you know, eating crap food. They're going home exhausted and tired to the missus. They're, the kids are not really getting spent time with. They're not, you know, building any sort of physical life or financial stability. They're just working because work. But that skill of getting up at 4 a.m. to drive to work and be on site. It's a skill, yeah. Hard, it's a skill. Like it is a trait of conscientious task driven orientation. Now, one of the most successful skills and, and personality traits we see in elite people is conscientiousness, task-driven industrialness. And so it's like, you know, even the most basic tradie, if they want to refer to that, like they're, they've got the potential to be at that next level. Like, do you just want to be the tradie that works on the site or do you want to own the site? Do you want to own the company that's building the building? Do you want to own the, the trade company that's, you know, fit out, doing the fit outs and doing the laboring? All those things. And it's like, you know, I... I I believe I would have been, it doesn't matter what skill, what industry I would have gone in. I can't be someone who's like, just being enough is enough. And I think a lot of people are that way inclined. I've said this before where you take a group of men and you ask them in a group setting, you're like, I'm just, like I say, I walk into a group of a footy team. Hey, what do you want to do with your life? Like, where do you want to go from here? High school, after school, whatever. And I say, yeah, I want to get a trade and do this. I want to do these cool things, blah, blah, I want to do this. Take each one of those guys individually put them into a private room and actually have a sit down conversation. Say, what the fuck do you want to do in life? And where do you want to end up before your time's finished? And you will get a, a much deeper, more profound endeavor, but they're too scared to say it because they're scared that everyone else is going to think something about it. And so it limits their belief in what they can actually do. The problem is if they all thought that, but the group collective is, is holding it back. Like we need to get those conversations happening. Conversations like this, where people are like, actually you can fucking do it. You just mm -hmm. have to have the balls to step away. Like matter started, you know, kind of a, a little dip back to why how matter started. I was running, you know, million dollar businesses uh, in, in nutrition and supplementation. I was working that industry, running stores, running company, like running parts of the business. My my stores were making a million dollars a year, but I was getting paid dick. I was getting paid shit. And it was during it was during the big you know global lockdown and the you know outbreak and all that sort of stuff. And I just said, I can't physically, now I know where I'm going. I'm in uni, I'm, I'm, I'm upskilled, I'm educated. I've, I've failed my first time PT. I was like, I know that just being a coach isn't enough for me. I know that just working in stores isn't enough for me. I need to make a bigger impact. And once I decided mm -hmm. that, there was no staying in that environment. It was too small. It was too narrow. It was too blind. I couldn't reach people I wanted to reach. And so I had all these people, you know, it's financially not a good idea right now. The economy's not great right now. Blah, blah, blah this and that. We increased revenue, and I don't care talking about money because I don't I don't do it for money. But two hundred percent, two years in a row. I've traveled oh, yeah. the world. I've tra literally traveled overseas. I've traveled countries. I've gone into state. I've put fourteen medals on my clients' necks in the last two years. Like all these oh, things yeah. that people were telling me, like, "Hey, you know, this is a bad time to do it." If I listen to that circle and I listen to that group, I stay there as a piece of shit. You know, piece of shit to lack of better. I felt like a piece of shit. I felt like I was letting down society and what I should have been doing. Yeah. And at the same time, if I didn't, like when I first started uh, competing, 
I don't have the physique for it, I don't have the ability for it, I don't have the drive, don't have the muscle mass, whatever. First comp, second call out's no big deal. My last show, I've got a gold medal on my wall. So, you know, all these things where you listen to people, and it's not a brag, it's not arrogance. It's more so getting people to understand that if you listen to the wrong groups and you surround yourself with these wrong people, that mediocre level of thinking that the collective seems to have limits you in what you want to do. But if I ask you individually, I guarantee you I get a deeper conversation because there's something more significant, whether it was like, you know, I wanted to do this when I was younger and play football. I want to do this and coach a team. I want to do this and build a building and you know own a company and trade this, whatever. Why aren't we doing that? What's stopping you really from making that decision? What's holding you back? Oh, well, you know, everyone in my group thinks it's stupid. Great, get a different fucking group. Or you be the first one to step out and watch the rest of your group do the same thing. So tell me what's been the most impactful environment shift for you that's led to your growth? Biggest impactful shift? In your environment. So like, you know, the people that you surround yourself with, uh, you know, you mentioned the Coach Catalyst group. Like what are some things that you've done to change the change your surroundings? Honestly, it's 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 always endeavoring to find the new group that has something to teach me, trying to make sure that I'm the smallest or the the dumbest person in the room, but I can bring something to the table. And then, you know, finding people that think like me. The joys of social media means guys like me and you can have this conversation. 40 years ago, yeah, you're kind oh, yeah. of limited to who was in your room, who was in your environment, who was at your job site. So having those conversations sucked. Me and Cav met through my partner and marketing director um, exchanging details on Instagram and Cav being exposed to me and me being exposed to Cav. We had a podcast like this and he ends up being one of my closest mates, one of my mentors. I look at him as like a, a very uh, almost father figure-like character because I, I I want to live up to the standards that he sets and I want to push myself to the level that he sees that I can reach. Otherwise, he wouldn't invest in me. Mm-hmm. So just having that access to social media and reaching out to people going, you know, why are you here and how do I get there? Rather than being like, oh, fuck that guy, he's arrogant or he's above me or he's, you know, he's better than me, whatever. And the people that I've met since has just been stupid. Like the the interaction we have now around the world, you know, like this morning, we're up at 3 a.m. to be on a, a mastermind group call. Mm-hmm. Cav's over in, in Virginia near D.C. And, you know, it's midday to him. We have to get up at 3 a.m. on the Wednesday to have that call. But now we're in the room with people that are elites at what they do. They're world-class. Like my network is now quadrupled tenfold where it was. And there's nothing wrong with the network I had. I still keep a lot of those people around because even in Australia, we need that connection, that network. I need those individuals, you know, back and forth. There's a lot of exchange. They're constantly learning, but there's an even bigger conversation happening now that I'm involved in and I can contribute. And I start to recognize that actually I probably have more worth than I thought. I can actually help these guys out. Mm -hmm. Now they can help me out. Now, you know, just through knowing Cav, you guys had a conversation. He's like, Hey, you know, I'm going to introduce you to Ben. Now, I mean, you get to have these conversations. So mm-hmm. by constantly putting yourself in, in environments where the people are, people around you are almost above you or like at that level you want to get to, mm-hmm. they're, they're going to help you get there because they, you know, Absolutely. They're, they're, they're not there to hold you back. They're not there to talk shit, talk smack. You know, I can't, I can't serve Cav with money or anything like that. Like, you know, he's, a lot more of a, the best way you serve me is by stepping up and being there and getting better. Because if you get better, I can use you and I can have you and I can have you be around and you make other people better. And, you know, that's how the chain works, right? It's like that downstream effect. Well, now the next person I work with, I'm going to go, hey, Cav stepped down a ledge for me. I'm going to do the same for someone else. And that 
that ability to shift, I guess, and look for those environments and those those calls and not being scared to step up and be in that room. Don't be scared to be the stupidest person, but also don't be scared to talk has yeah. changed my life. Yeah, that growth mindset that gets fostered by people who understand that the more great people that we elevate, right? The more the more the industry itself gets elevated and the more people that we bring into the industry and you know, the more money gets made for everyone else. Um, and I, I think it goes in beyond that. Like it becomes like society gets better. Because like oh, we're, sure. we're coaches, like not everyone's an elite athlete. And I get that. You know, not everyone wants to be like an elite bodybuilder. But if I work with Dylan, who's uh, you know top tier lawyer, but he's like tired, he's exhausted, he's overweight, and he's running out of fuel, and we make him healthier, stronger, more driven, got better goals, he wants to take it to the next level. Now he's doing even better in law. Same thing with someone you know in finances, in in construction. Like we've had guys, we had guys that started with us um, through the way that we kind of deliver our goal setting and our strategies and our systems, end up starting one of the fastest growing mining companies in Australia, and you know, they went from three employees in February to 60 this month. Holy shit. Yeah. Like, and it's like, it's things like that where it's just like the, the tools and strategies became less about his physique development and more about like his life development through physical development. And, you know, it's just like, again, if I, if I don't show up as my best and I'm not showing up to be the best that I can be and make that level of impact that I want to make, mm-hmm. how am I going to impact the person I'm working with? How am I going to show up for them and help them be better? But if I can make them better, they're now better in their industry. They're now better in what they do. They're now better in the, the people they employ. They're now responsible for people's jobs, for families, for finances, for people getting paid, for living. That, to me, is a trickle-down effect that comes with us stepping up as high-performing coaches and, and seeing the potential that people have. Like, this guy was just a polywelder. He had no business starting a business like this and getting to the point he is. But that 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 commitment, that drive, the the skills and abilities that came from, uh, you know, what we were working on, realizing that actually you can be more than just a poly welder if you want to be, and you can put yourself in different environments and actually connect with people and ask the right questions, ends up linking up with two other people in a very similar position. They start a company, next minute, they're doing all this work, great results, boom. Now I need 10 more people. Hey, you got another job, I need 10 more people. Hey, you need 10 more people. And it's like, oh, imagine yeah. we can do that. Imagine we can do that as, a, as an industry across the fucking world. Like performance coaching then just becomes a whole different game when you look at it from that lens. It's like, I'm not here for a long time, but I'm here to leave a legacy that will impact everyone. I think that is a phenomenal way to branch into some ridiculous questions that I like to finish my podcast with. Let's do it. So that soundbite was beautiful. Um, First things first, what's your favorite cheat meal? Oh, ho, ho, ho. Yeah, you know, I'm very. We go two ways. I'm very basic. If I'm if I'm really just like at a bland point, I just want something really nice. I love a Chinese like Chinese fried rice, honey chicken, mm-hmm. um, and then something sweet for dessert, like some ice cream or a donut. But if if we're going balls deep in it, the first time I ever had Five Guys when we came to Washington, and Ooh. some Five Guys with some crumble cookies, just nice and simple, nothing hectic. Um, you know, we, we've got a lot of the industry over here. Dessert industry is like making a lot of New York cookies. Some five guys with like those New York loaded cookies. I'm done. I'm good. That's bruh. first time I've ever had like, like just the coming out of an aggressive cut, holding that five guys burger. And I was just like, oh, bruh. it's a, uh, it's a, it's a sight to behold. Plus the pump you get afterwards is just stupid. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. 
one album that you can listen to, no skips. Oh, that's good. One album I could listen to. Linkin Park, Jay-Z, Collision Course. Okay, good. Five dinner guests, dead or alive, you plus five. Me plus five. Oh, okay. All right. Peterson? Good. Jo- uh, yeah, Jordan. Definitely Jordan. Uh, Musk? Napoleon Bonaparte? And... having been to the Lincoln Memorial someone like an Abe Lincoln like uh, would just be like that collaboration of just intense people of what they do uh, would be I think next level conversations we're very interesting picks when you said Napoleon I'm like I immediately my mind went Napoleon Dynamite and I was like (laughs) that's a weird (laughs) choice I gotta ask you about that <laughs> um, the final question I have for you: If there is one person that you would like to see on this podcast, but the caveat is that you have to help me get them on, who would it be? Ooh, ooh, that is that is good. like how I did that, right? So you're going to do my job for me. Yeah, I like that. That's good. Yeah. I I like that. Um, well, I mean, you met Ali, right? I think Ali'd be a great chat for you. Did, did you meet Ali at the Ali Gilbert? Yeah, you spoke oh, with her before. Ali, man, she is high energy, brain power. Like, she is the works. She she's is good funny. fun to, to talk to. Okay. Good answer. Ben. Yeah. We'll make, we'll make, and she's just about to do a silverback summit. So, you'll have a lot of conversation with her just about men, and she loves it. <laughs> Dude, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you. I'm excited for, uh, you know, fostering this friendship as we move forward. And I uh, hope collaborating on some stuff in the future, man. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you having me on. I really do. It's been great fun. Yeah, we'll um, have... Uh, definitely sorry, definitely link up when we come stateside next time. Are you going to uh, the December 1st and 2nd weekend? No. Um, we've got a plan with Cav. We're actually planning to come back next year around uh, the next Coach Callis Summit. Um, we're going to do some workshops and seminars and presentations on top of the summit when we get over there. So we're looking to be... Really there for 10 days last time. We're going to try and be there for about a month, six weeks this time. So we're going to plan with Cav a, a big sort of stay next mid-year. What are the dates for that usually? Not 100% certain. It's based, I think it's depending on the Olympics with uh, Cav's, Cav's team and, and Coach Catalyst availability. Um, but yeah, once that's locked in, we'll be we'll be locking that in for sure. All right. I'll try to, I'll try to do that too. Um, I will have links to all of your socials and everything like that. So if you guys want to find Ben, you can reach out to him below. Thank you so much for joining. Please make sure to like, share, subscribe, and ring the bell for notifications. Dropping YouTube videos every week, dropping podcasts every week, and just trying to put out as much content for you guys as we can, both through Master Athletic Performance and Coaches Corner University. Thanks so much, Ben, again. Have a great day. Thank you, Abby, brother. We'll talk to you soon.